Welcome to Living Word, growing a family that experiences every promise of God. You're listening to another life-changing word from Pastor Jason Anderson. For more information, visit our website at livingwordonline.com. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this, this morning and that you open up our hearts to receive your word. That your word is manna, it's bread of life, it's practical, it becomes part of who we are. Your word is also seed planted deep in the good soil of our hearts and germinates and produces life in us and grows, transforms us more and more into the likeness and image of your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, be our teacher and teach us what we need to know. Prepare us for what is coming in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. I heard this story about an a elderly woman that she prayed really loud and the atheist in the apartment next door would get so annoyed with her. One day she was praying, Lord, send me some groceries. He thought, well, I'm going to teach her a lesson. So he went out to the grocery store and picked up a couple bags of groceries, put them under her front door, rang the doorbell, and hid around the corner. She opened the door. She said, thank you, Lord, for my groceries. He jumped out and said, ha, God didn't bring you those groceries. I brought you those groceries. She said, thank you, Lord, for these groceries, and thank you, Lord, for making the devil bring them. <laughs> Today I want to talk to you about how God works through people to advance his kingdom. So often we just want God to do everything for us, but when God wants to free the Israelites, he goes and gets a Moses. He needs somebody to work through. This is his desire, and it's his system from the beginning. He always works through people to do his agenda. He has a plan to push back on darkness, but he needs us to be the light, to be the light that pushes back. He needs soldiers in the trenches executing his commands, And it might be that we're thinking, well, where is God? But God might be saying, well, where are you? Where are those who are supposed to be willingly advancing the agenda of God? And I find that today, what I see a lot is is a lot of complaining. There's many things we could complain about. But what I'm talking about today is becoming a problem solver, becoming active in the problem. You see, you could be the one that when God wants to turn somebody's day around, He uses you to turn their day around. When God wants to bring somebody a smile, he uses you to bring a smile. When God wants to feed a hungry family, he's going to bless you so that you have more than you can contain, so that you can give it away. You can fund that project. You can feed that family. You can be the solution to the problems that we're having today. He gives you more peace than you need, that you might be the peace voice around you at the workplace, at the environment, in the family. He wants you to be the solution to the problem. And there's a lot of suffering today, as there always has been in the world. And there's a lot of hurting, and there's a lot of brokenness. And, and I'm, I'm the, pre, the pastor that often tells you, why don't we pray for a miracle and believe that God's going to do this thing. But today, that's not this sermon. Today's sermon isn't about praying and asking God to do it. Today's sermon is about you rolling up your sleeves and be, being the miracle, being the answer, and letting God work through you to solve the problems that are around you. Come on and give the Lord some praise right there. See, we're not victims. We're equipped to win. We're equipped to be the answer. But the enemy wants to convince you that you're not, that you're not capable, that you're not enough. Hebrews chapter 11 is a, is a whole list of these great heroes. The Bible is just distinguishing all these heroes of faith, people who believed God and then did great things because God worked through them. And I'm going to start here with this, this scripture. By faith, the harlot Rahab. So first things first, it's just faith in God. Faith in God elevates you to hero status because, why? Because it's actually not that many people that are putting their faith in God in this world. But you do. And when you put your faith in God, it has the power to move mountains. 
He says, by faith the harlot. I like that they keep her title. She was a prostitute, and not just a prostitute, she ran a house of prostitution. Praise God for the grace of God that he makes heroes out of the low. Come on, somebody. Out of the ones who have a past, he turns around and shows his grace and says, I use everybody, anybody willing to listen and believe me, I can become the hero of a problem. And by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. So she got a blessing. She got life. And I'm going to talk about her blessing in a second. When she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, also David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith, through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the foreigners. These are heroes. They were people. Sometimes we want God to do everything, but God's like, no, 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 I want to raise up somebody. He wants to raise up men and women. He, he desires to work through people. In the story of Rahab, you're like, well, how is she a hero? She never shut the mouth of a lion. She never raised a dead person. What did she do? Well, let me show you. Because I think God making a hero sometimes is different than what we think. She believed God, and, then, and, and the Israelites had sent in a couple spies into Jericho, and she was a foreigner living in the city of Jericho. That was her home. And she ran a house of prostitution inside the wall of Jericho, the wall that was going to crumble. And these spies happened into the the house of prostitution. I have nothing to say about that. There was two of them. And the Bible says that the king said, hey, I heard there's a couple of foreigners and then there's, there's some spies in there. These are not very good spies, by the way. They got found out pretty fast. <laughs> and, and I heard that they're at your house, Rahab. Send them to me. And she goes, oh, they came here. Yeah, but they're gone now. And so she lies to the king. She's like, he's like, where are they? He's like, I don't know. This is her big hero moment. You know, she could have actually been probably killed for hiding spies. This is a risky thing that she did. But she saw that God was moving. The Bible talks about how she said to the spies, I know that God is with you and that God has given you this city. She had faith in God. And so she joined the right team. She served a different king. She served the king of kings and she hid the spies. And the truth is, is somebody has to hide the spies. I, I wish that that weren't true. I wish, see, see somebody's got to kill the, the giant. There's a Goliath on the field. And he's talking smack to God's people and he's defiling God. And he's, and he's putting the Israelites in fear. And all the Israelite soldiers on the side of the hill, not one of them steps up and says, I'll fight you. And not the king who's taller than everyone else in Israel doesn't say, I, I'll fight you. But a little sandwich delivery boy, Uber Eats, shows up on the field, David, and he says, I'll fight him. And I, I want, here's what I want. Here's what I wish. And this is what I think people wish, on uh, the, the Christians and, and, and even atheists wish, that God would just fix it. There's a Goliath, just lightning bolt, right? Just, pfft. Goliath's like, I'm the big giant Goliath. Oh, look at me. Pfft. Dead. Done. It's over. Fire from heaven. Something. Come on. Something big. Just smite him, Lord. Take out all of the Philistines while you're at it. 
Why not just wipe out Jericho? Why do we have to send in spies? Why do we have to... Why? Because this is God saying, this is how I work. If I want to defeat Goliath, guess what I need? I need a David. If I want to free the Israelites from Egypt, guess what I need? I need a Moses. And that's the thing about Rahab is somebody's got to hide the spies. And she decided to be that somebody. And what made her the hero wasn't that she was better than everyone else. It wasn't that she was smarter than everyone else. What made her the hero is that she decided to solve the problem. And believers need to learn how to be problem solvers. And what stops us from solving problems is fear. I can't do it. What am I going to do? Who am I? I'm not enough. Well, who was Rahab, the harlot? And what does God do? Not only does he give Jericho and, and, and become the, she becomes this great woman of faith in, the, in, in history, but God changes the legacy of her family. It's true. She, she says to the spies as, they, as they're leaving, hey, I helped you. I hid you. Now help my family. Like I got in your world. I, I got out of my, I took a risk. I got out of my world. I didn't have to help you, but I did. Now help my family. And they said this prophetically. They spoke to her. They said, go and get your father, your mother, your brothers and sisters. Bring them into this house, the house, and tie a red rope in your window, and none of your family will be harmed. But if you do not bring them into this house, and we, and we come back, then their blood will be on your head. So she had instructions now on how to save her family. This is what God does. When we become part of the solution... He brings you special information. Amen. Get your family, bring them in this house, tie a red rope, and this is a living word for her. This is unique for her and her time period and her situation. So she got a word from God for her that would save her family. And not only that, it changed the trajectory, the future of the course that her family was on because she was on a course for dying with everyone else in Jericho. That was the course of her future. Her and her family would be wiped out, but... The, the word says that she wasn't because she put her faith in God and became part of the solution. She hid the spies. When a problem comes your way and you become a problem solver, God gets involved in your problems. Come on, somebody. And so she cared about her family being saved. And what does God do? He causes her to meet a man named Salmon of the tribe of Judah in Israel, a prominent man, kind of a fish of a guy, but anyways. Now, don't laugh at that. That's terrible. And Salmon and her have a kid named Boaz. You're like, Boaz? Wait, I've heard that name. Yeah, he married Ruth. And, th and they had a kid named Obed, and they had a kid named Jesse, and they had a kid named King David. So what God was up to, he's like, I want that woman, Rahab, that prostitute woman, that harlot, I want to bring my King David through her. Amen. And he executed, see, she changed the future of her legacy that she became part of the lineage of Christ, the Messiah, by believing God. Don't think God isn't interested in changing the future of your family, your children and your children's children. By you becoming a problem solver, God gets involved and can change the trajectory of the course of your entire family. What do I mean? Maybe, maybe it's time to overcome that anger. Your dad dealt with anger, hot temper. You got the anger, hot temper. You notice your kids have anger, hot temper. Why not become part of the solution? God, give me a word. Holy Spirit, tell me what I need to do. Give me instructions. Let's break anger off of our family forever. Do you see that? That's how easy it is. There's a story in, I heard when I was in Alaska. We went on a cruise. It was fantastic. And the locals 
between Seaward and, and Anchorage talk about this story that there was a principal at a local small high school there. They had a gymnasium and he decided to have a big basketball tournament at their school. And he invited all the schools from around Alaska to travel. They picked a great day for it. It was going to be Good Friday of 1964. All the schools were off that day. It'd be a great day to come in by, by bus and have a big basketball tournament. And so as he organized this thing, there were three moms, believers, who didn't want this to happen on Good Friday. And they were compelled to meet with the principal. And they sat him down and they said, don't do this thing. Good Friday is a holy day. It should be set apart for worship and, and families. It shouldn't be a day of basketball tournaments and competing. Well, the principal didn't like what they had to say and continued to organize things. And other families in the school were mad at these women, but they wouldn't shut up. And they continued to voice their concerns. This is not a good thing. Have your basketball tournament, but pick a different day. Don't do it on Good Friday. They made so much noise that he finally canceled that tournament. And on Good Friday of 1964, the largest earthquake in North American history hit a 9.2 in that region for five minutes, and it destroyed the school and flattened the gymnasium. And had they had that basketball tournament, hundreds of families would have died in that earthquake. Because why? Because three women wouldn't be silent, but they were compelled to speak up about what they believed. You see, somebody's got to speak up. Somebody's got to voice it. And not just out on the street yelling about it, but go to the principal and voice your concerns. Go to the people in charge and, and, and say what God has put on your heart. Because why? Because we, we, we need to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. I was on a, a cruise. I mentioned the cruise, and it was fantastic, by the way. But we're cruising in Alaska. It doesn't sound like fun, but it's fun. It was actually quite beautiful. And, but there's this day where they're like, okay, we're going to cruise to see the uh, glacier. So the captain gets up, which seems like not a good idea, you know, right off. There's stories that I've heard before about, you know, going towards a glacier on a cruise ship that don't turn out well. <laughs> and, and so he gets, he gets on the loudspeaker, the captain is like, this is the captain of your ship, and uh, I'm excited to tell you that today's conditions are allowing me to, to take the cruise ship closer to the glacier than I've ever been before. That doesn't sound like good news. <laughs> you know, let's not go somewhere you've never been before, maybe. And, and, I, and they started to play us music, and the song that came on, <laughs> it's the Titanic movie song, and in my mind, it's married to the images of the ship hitting the iceberg, and this seems wrong. Like, I thought to myself, is somebody joking with us? This is the song you picked? And you can see, like, we're getting closer, that there's huge chunks of ice all around us, like a minefield of icebergs, and we're, we're going towards this. And I want to talk to the captain. I want to, I want to know where he was, because I, I just wanted to come to him and say, like, hey, uh, captain, I don't know if maybe you missed the chapter when you were in school on icebergs. There's a whole bunch of data and research they've done about this in cruise ships. It's not good. I've already seen this movie. And if you remember the movie, the ship, the Titanic, I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. I'm spoiler alert. It sinks. <laughs> and there's Jack and Rose, and, there's, and they're 
they're, they're drowning in the cold, frigid water, but they find a little piece of ice big enough for one of them. And, uh, and so Rose gets up on the ice and Jack pushes her up on it and then Jack floats away and dies. And, and there's your hero story and, and it resonates with all, all of us because no greater love hath anyone than to lay down his life for another. And so we all, by human nature and human instinct, we, we see the hero of like when Christ died for us. We see that and we're drawn to that because that's a different kind of love. It's the kind of love that we all hunger for and hunger to be. Somebody's got to be Jack. Somebody has to be the hero. See, somebody has to be David. Somebody has to be Rahab. Somebody has to step up to the plate, see the problem, and become the solution of the problem. In, in Daniel chapter 2, there's a great story of the king of Babylon who he had a dream, and he was troubled by this dream, and so he brought all of his wise men together into the room. And, and uh, Daniel was one of the wise men, but he didn't get called to this particular meeting. It wasn't there. But he brings, all, he brings his wise men to the room and he says, okay, tell me my dream and then interpret it. And they're like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, tell me my dream and then interpret it. They go, bro, that's not how it works. Like, you tell us the dream, then we interpret it. He's like, no, 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 then I know you're going to lie to me. Tell me my dream and then interpret it. And then he says this in verse 5. The king answered to, and said to the Chaldeans, these are the wise men, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, and its interpretation, you shall be cut into pieces and your house shall be made an ash heap and burned. That's aggressive. And so they're like, well, we can't do it. So the executioner goes out to kill them all, all the wise men, of which Daniel's one of them. So he shows up to Daniel and he's like, okay, what are you doing here? And they're like, well, I'm here to kill you. And Daniel's like, hold on. <laughs> you know, let's talk about this. What's going on? So he explains them to the situation. Daniel goes, well, let me, let me talk to the king. So he goes to the king, and, and Daniel says, give me, give me 24 hours, and I'll, I'll figure this out for you. And so the king goes, all right, you can have 24 hours. And then Daniel goes to his friend Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, all right, let's pray all night tonight and ask God for mercy that he might show us this dream, tell us what the king dreamt, and then the interpretation. And so then they do this. And the first question I want to ask is this one. Why do bad things happen to good people? Daniel, this is a great question, by the way, for, for, for the lost. People ask this question all the time. Why do bad things happen to good people? The good people, Daniel's a good person. Why is this happening? Why is he about to die? He didn't do anything wrong. Let, let's rewind in his life. Daniel's had like kind of a bad, a, a bad start. He, he was living in the palace in, in Judah when Babylon attacks and kills his family. And then they take him captive and make him a slave in Babylon. Not a good childhood. And then... He's, he turns out to be pretty smart. And so the king gets a bunch of smart people together and calls them the wise men. And he has like a special team of wise men of which Daniel's part of. But because Daniel's smart, he's going to die. Like bad timing to be smart. Maybe it would have been better to pretend like you were dumb, Daniel. But he's smart. And so now he's going to die because he's smart. And, and what does Daniel do? He's going to be part, part of the solution now. But why do bad things happen to good people? What did Daniel do, do to deserve this? He's just a good guy. I mean, the answer is so simple. Bad things happen to good people because they're good. Daniel's a target. You see, when you became a believer, you're a good person. Ask Jesus, why do bad things happen to good Do bad things happen to good people, Jesus? And he'd be like, well, yeah. It didn't go so well for me. Why? Because you're a believer and there's a Satan and when you become a, a believer, you're a target. 
He doesn't like that you're a believer. So he's going to come after you and attack you. But here's the good news. Though he come at you in one direction, he will flee from you in seven. Though the enemy rise up against you, he shall be defeated before you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. There was a weapon that was formed just for you in your circumstance. And here it comes and you're like, why is this happening to me? It's sometimes it's because God puts his greatest warriors in the thickest part of the battle because he wants to see a victory. So he equips you to win. You're a soldier. And he loves, see, God, God wants veterans that have seen battle. We get into battle and adversities, we get scars, but the scars don't hurt us, they don't cripple us, they make us stronger. We are equipped for battle. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We have Jesus who has already finished the work. We have the Word of God on our lips. How can we possibly lose? So don't be surprised when God sends you to fight Goliath. But what I love about Daniel is that he decides to be the problem solver. He doesn't have to do that. He could be like all the other wise men that were like, well, I guess we're going to die. Just be a victim. Oh, well, poor me. But Daniel goes, no, let's fix this thing. I'll do it. I'll step up. I'll go talk to the king. I'll be the problem solver. See, believers, we've got to become the problem solvers. When a problem arises, look at that problem and go, okay, God, I need a solution. What does he do? Praise all night and ask God for mercy. What does God give him? He gives him secret information, instructions, wisdom, stuff he didn't know. That wisdom, that information, he's, God's going to show him the dream the king dreamed and give him the interpretation. That makes Daniel very, very powerful because he has the information needed. It's the same thing for you and I. We can go to God and say, God, give me the information that I need. Let me pray all night long. Let me ask you for your mercy. Holy Spirit, speak to me and tell me what I need to know about this situation. Maybe the boss brings you a problem at work. Be the problem solver. None of the other coworkers are going to be problem solvers. Let me just give you a fact right now. None of the other coworkers are going to be problem solvers. They're just going to say, oh, well, poor job, poor business, poor whatever. That's not my problem. I don't get paid to do that. That's not my fault. I didn't create the mess. But you, you're a believer. You're equipped to be a problem solver. And the boss brings a problem. You go, I'll take that on. I'll be the Daniel. Bring that stuff to me. And say stuff too. Don't use the other word. Be Daniel. Step up and say, whenever you see a problem, you see a problem come up in your marriage, be, be the problem solver. I'm going to get involved in this. Lord, help me in my marriage. Your teenager's hanging around the wrong kids, the wrong friends, and you don't know how to fix it. They just won't listen to you. Well, go to the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, give me a dream. Give me a vision. Teach me what I need to know. Amen? Let's go back to the scripture Daniel says this, as for you, O king, this is what the, Daniel says to the king, thoughts came to your mind while you were on your bed. He's telling the king what was happening and how the king got his dream. Remember you were laying down and you had these thoughts come to your mind about what would come to pass after this. What was the king thinking about? The king began to think about what's the future hold? What happens after this kingdom? I wonder what's going to happen after I'm gone. And he who reveals secrets, what does God do? He reveals secrets. He's not keeping secrets. He reveals secrets. To who? To people who look for him. That's it. Because Daniel was looking for the secret and God gave it to him. 
But you go, well, but Daniel's a godly man. He's a, he's a, he's Daniel. I mean, come on. Of course God revealed it to him. Yeah, but this king is not a godly man. This king is a worldly man. But he was asking questions about the future, and God, who reveals secrets, gave him the answer he needed about the coming Messiah. By the way, the, the, the prophecy was about the Messiah that would establish his kingdom forever. This is an amazing prophecy that God gave to a worldly king, a godless king. Because why? Because God's qualifier to answering questions is asking questions. Isn't that powerful? And any one of us can ask questions. Lord, tell me what's going on in here. Father God, give me the information I need to solve this problem at work. Lord, help me with my teenager. Give me the information I need, Father God. Give me the instruction. The Holy Spirit is right there to give you a living word. See, God came and gave Daniel a living word. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't just a word, but it was specific to Daniel for the season he was in, for the problem he was facing. God will do the same thing for you. Our job is simply to address the problem and ask the questions. And he says, he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. Daniel knows. I didn't get this because I'm somebody special. But for our sakes, who made known the interpretation of the king. He, in other words, he's saying, because I took on the problem, I got the answer. What? Because I decided to be the answer to the problem, God gave me the answer. That's what he said. And then it says this, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. God's trying to answer the questions that the king has in his own heart. All he did was ask a question. This is something that any one of us can do. The king was simply thinking about what could come to pass. How are you going to turn, how, how are you going to break that addiction of, off of your family? You, your father was addicted. You were addicted. You've been struggling with your whole life. You, you, now you see it creeping up on your kids. How are you going to break poverty off of your, your family? Change the trajectory and the course of your family. How are you going to break it off? Jesus already broke it. But how are you going to step into that place in the promises of God? Lord, Father God, I thank you that you give me the instruction that I need, that we break poverty off my family, that you change the trajectory and the course of my life. When my wife and I were trying to have a baby, I was in my young 20s. We, nothing was happening. I mean, we were following the proper procedures. <laughs> but she wasn't getting it. And month after month, you know, you take that test, it's very discouraging. And after over a year of trying, we started going to see the doctors, and you worry. You, you start to wonder, there's something wrong with my body? Am I broken? Are we not going to be able to do this? And, and so I asked God, I, find, I think we finally get around to asking God a little late. And so I said to the Lord, are we going to have kids? Like, we're going to have a family, right? Like, what, what do you have for me here? And God gave me a dream that night. <laughs> And he showed me, I was getting on an airplane, and me and, and, and Kelly were situating two kids. We had a, a blonde boy and a, and a dark-haired girl, and we were just situating them on the plane, trying to get them in their seats and their stuff and their little backpacks and all that. It was just a glimpse. The, the dream lasted maybe two seconds. It was like, poop, I got to see it, and then it was gone. And so I woke up that morning, and I, said to, I told Kelly about the dream. We're going to have at least two kids, because I saw us on a plane sometime in the future situating our kids. And what it did was it brought such rest and peace to both of us to stop being so stressed out. This is going to happen. It's going to happen in God's timing. Just relax. You know, and so we had our living word specific to our situation, specific to our season to give us the answer that we needed. 
The same God who gave me this supernatural insight and revealed this thing to me, that same God will do the same thing for you in your life. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord a hand clap. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 12, God visits Gideon. And the Lord, one angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. And because the Israelites are under oppression from the, from the Midianites, they've been enslaved by these people. So there's great suffering. Every time they grew food, the Midianites come in and steal their food. And people are suffering. And so the Lord comes to Gideon and says, you know, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then begins to tell him, you're going to help set Israel free. But Gideon's response in the scripture was, if God is with us, where are all his mighty works? Where are the miracles that our fathers told us about? But the Lord has given us over to the Midianites and has abandoned us. That's what a lot of people say about our God. The suffering that we see is somehow God's fault. Right? That's what he did. We're suffering, but it's God's fault. God's saying, listen, I'm going to use you to get the Israelites out of suffering. And he says, the reason that we're suffering is because of you. You abandon us. This is one of the questions that atheism asks all the time of Christians. If there's a God, why is there suffering? And then they just sit back and go, ha, gotcha. God is missing. It's not a new question. They didn't just come up with that question. Gideon was talking about that thousands of years ago, asking the same question in the Bible. And God shows us how he works in this moment. He's like, no, 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 I work through people. I need people. If we want to end the suffering, it's going to be me and you, Gideon. But if you say no, Gideon, the suffering will continue. And the reason there's so much suffering on the planet right now is because too many people are saying no to God. God is raising up Gideons to do the work. But if we say no, the suffering will... If Gideon says no, the suffering will continue. It's not on God. God's not missing the warriors, the, the answer to the, the people are missing. Come on, give the Lord some praise right there. And I know that's not you because we are, we are the Living Word Bible Church. We are the people who step up and say, yes, God. Amen? But back to Gideon. He decides to be obedient to God and to step out. And he becomes this great hero and sets the Israelites free. But before he did that, God instructed him, I want you to tear the idol out of your father's front yard. Use your father's bull to tear it down and then take a second bull and sacrifice it to make atonement for what your father and your father's household has done. God took care of Rahab's family first. When God saved Daniel, he saved Daniel's cousins, his family. When God rescued the Israelites out of the Midianites, he saved and turned around Gideon's family first. You see, it always starts right in your world, you becoming the hero. Sometimes we think, how am I going to set the Israelites free from the Midianites? That's a big problem, God. That's a world-changing problem. What am I going to do about it? Let's start right here in your world. Let's not think so big. Maybe, you, maybe, maybe the, you're, 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 you're not being oppressed by the Midianites, but is your daughter dealing with depression? Is your wife, is your husband dealing with a health issue? That's a problem. Be the Gideon. Be the Daniel. 
say yes to the God and become the solution to the problem. God wants to work through people. And a lot of times we think we're waiting on God. He's waiting on somebody to say, I'm declaring a fast and I'm going to pray and I'm going to see God move on this stronghold that's been inflicting my family for long enough. I'm not going to have my kids tormented by allergies anymore. I'm taking a stand. I'm not having my family afflicted by depression anymore. I'm taking a stand. Become the Gideon because Jesus has already won the war. He wants to work through you to see deliverance and and, and to see these things come to your family, to see this freedom come and to see the blessings come. He, He wants to see you win. And I believe it starts right in our own world, right in our own workplace, right in our own household. Did you receive something today? I would encourage you, be generous, be a giver, help me get this message out to the rest of the world. Let me ask you a question. If you were to face eternity today, do you know what eternity looks like for you? And would you have peace with Father God? Here's the good news. God has already offered the free gift of eternal life to anyone who will believe. You say, believe what? Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for your sins and rose from the dead. The same God who saved the harlot Rahab and turned her life around. The same God of that grace is here to save you no matter what your past is. Any past. You come to him exactly as you are. Just bring faith with you. That's enough. Believe in Jesus, and you can know before you leave today where you will spend eternity. It's with Father God in the kingdom of heaven with a gold mailbox. Repeat after me right now in this prayer. Give your life to the Lord or come back to God if you've been away from from him for a little while. We'll all pray it together with you. Here we go, dear Father God. Forgive me of all my sins. And Jesus, I believe in you. You're the Son of God who died for sin, rose from the dead. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. We introduce to you Living Word Virtual Church Community. Each week, we come together during the live stream, chatting with each other through live comment sections. Then, during the week, our virtual church community reconnects in online share groups to discuss the weekend service and study the Word. To sign up, visit the Living Word Virtual Church Community page on our website. We'll see you there.